So sorry. That was my fault. I tried to mute me and I muted you on accident. I clicked the wrong one and then I can't unmute people, which makes sense so that I can't like just jump into people's conversations, but my bad. Oh, sure. (laughs) You just started fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) That's fine. Okay. One, two, three. Here I go. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Hey, Holly. Hey, Robert. On today's episode, we talk with Emmy Kegler about her new book, All Who Are Weary, Easing the Burden on the Walk with mental illness. But first, Holly, how are you doing today? I am doing all right. I am so happy to be here with you getting to talk about this episode that I know we recorded a little while back, but mm-hmm. um, but it's so good. Yeah, it's good to, to be chatting with you today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, I know uh, it may not, you know, for listeners are thinking, okay, you guys say that every week. Like what uh, is going on? Yeah, I know, right. But we actually, so we didn't release an episode last week. Uh, we uh, took kind of a spring break from the show because the week before was your, your kid's spring break and then Brooke's spring break and just the timing of it makes sense that the we don't release one on the Monday after or something like that, right? So, right, right, uh, right, right. So how? Right. Uh, so it has been a little bit, right? If we're kind of getting back in the flow That's here, right. it has been yeah. a hot second. Uh, but Holly, how was how was your spring break? <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing, y'all, because I took that phrase "spring break," and apparently, I just took it a little literally this year. So it was good, um, but you know. There were some fun things that we did, and we had an exciting little stretch of time where um, my daughter, Callie, had a a birthday party to go to, and it was at a roller skating rink, and that just sounded so much fun. And I just, you know, I used to love rollerblading when I was little, and did you go rollerblading or roller skating when you were younger? Or yeah, did you like skateboard sure. or, yeah? Okay. Yeah, there was, we used to have, I think it was like my elementary school had, you know, uh, it was like monthly or whatever. It was like the school night at the, the yes! skating rink or whatever. And we would yes! all go and, you know, go and just, you just go in circles for hours. That's exactly right. Well, I mean, I just loved that as a kid. And so, of course, you know, 20 something years later, I thought it would be a really good idea to just put those rollerblades on after not having done it for a long time. Yeah. And um, we went around a few times. And then one of the times I fell and I was like, oh, that kind of hurt a little bit. Well, long story short, the next morning I got up and um, went to the doctor. And sure enough, I broke my elbow. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I landed on my hand, the shockwave decided to break my elbow. And so, you know, I'm chatting with you right now with my arm in a sling and just healing and, yeah, you know, just living with uh, just, I got my, I mean, I got my right hand. It's still working so I can do a little typing, but, you know, we're yeah. just, it's just, it's been, um, 
I mean, it's it's been a good week. Like it's I laugh because literally it it just has been funny and I've uh honestly like the chance to go rollerblading and roller skating with Callie like and get those videos and photos was so worth it, but but now we're just kind of going a little bit slower than yeah. maybe I am used to. And yeah. that's okay. <laughs> So. Yeah, I, uh, I I'm only uh, chuckling along with this story because Oof. I know that you're okay, and I know you yes. know we've, we've you know talked a little bit about it, but yeah, uh, I know what you uh, you have an Instagram picture of you kind of holding the your the new book right the uh, book balanced on your, mm-hmm. your broken elbow there. The so uh, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. so but we're glad that you're okay. Uh, Me and, too. Uh, we hope you know healing comes quickly, but that sound that does sound like fun and. Hopefully, you know, the rest of your break was uh, yeah, less not, painful. Yeah, yeah, or literal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, That's it's awesome. been it's been good. The rest of the break was great. We had fun with the kids and we're still able to, you know, kind of do a few things with them and they got some time with their grandparents, which was nice. And yeah. um, Corey and I celebrated our anniversary, which was great. Mm, and, yeah. you know, so there was good. It's just um, something, you know, yeah. In the midst of a lot of things right now, I, I can just kind of chuckle about being clumsy. So, yeah. But that was our spring break. What about y'all's? How was your spring break? Yeah. So it was obviously uh, not, a, I mean, I don't actually have a spring break and it wasn't uh, for either the kids spring break or anything, but mm. it, it was Brooke's spring break. And so she was home, uh, which was fun. Just, you know, in between sessions and stuff like that, I could pop out and we could uh, make lunch together or do some yeah. cooking and stuff like that, hang out. Um, and so that's definitely, that's definitely always fun. Uh, it was kind of reminiscent a little bit of two years ago, right? We're like right at the anniversary of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, And so that chunk of time where we were both working from home all of a sudden, and we could do a lot of that same stuff. And so it was a little reminiscent of that, uh, just, you know, cooking lunch and stuff like that. So that was fun. But other Mm. than that, everything kind of going along pretty normal. Uh, No broken bones, but also no cool roller skating. In my head cannon, you were definitely, there was like some disco, right? You know, I feel like picturing (laughs) just you discoing on on roller skates. Mm. But yeah, nothing nothing quite as exciting as that, but definitely enjoyed some time off uh, from editing, stuff like that. I actually finished, I I think I texted you, I finished editing... uh, and producing and everything, Brandon Johnson's episode, which was last like two weeks ago, yeah, uh, uh-huh. like five days early. <laughs> I was just really ahead of it. It's amazing. Uh, and so uh, scheduled everything ready to go and thought, hey, I don't have, there's like 12 days. I don't have to do any. So I actually yeah. got a little bit more than a week uh, just because I was ahead the week before. So, you know, I love doing all that, but it is nice to step back for, for a, yeah. a week and say, cool, I don't, that's one thing off the mind and off the plate for this week. One less tab open, if you will. So yes, um, yes. To, oh, the to revisit our, our oh, the tabs. metaphor. Yes. I've been using it all over the place. I, yes, I've loved it. That's so, awesome. Yeah, but excited to be back. Uh, glad, obviously, that, that your elbow is healing a bit. I've been enjoying your, um, you know, the text message with the, instead of texting, there was a couple where you sent me little voice messages instead. So, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> get to hear your voice as we're texting, um, mm-hmm. but excited to uh, get back into it and share the second, or I guess the last, whatever, fourth or so of season six. I was looking at it. We're all scheduled out. We're yeah. all done. Uh, yeah. And there's just some really great ones. Um, and so, uh, including, you know, kind of kicking that chunk off here with our conversation with Emmy Kegler. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I'm excited for this last stretch that we have and the great guests that are lined up. We'll go ahead and get out of the way and let you listen to our interview with Emmy Kegler. All right. Enjoy, y'all. Today, we are so excited to be joined by Emmy Kegler. She is a pastor, speaker, and author of One Coin Found, How God's Love Stretches to the Margins. As both pastor and patient, she has an intimate relationship with mental illness and its complex connections to her faith. She works to normalize the experiences of depression, anxiety, and a host of other diagnoses and symptoms, treating them not as proof of exclusion from God's grace, but rather a common and expansive experience of the human condition in which God remains present and compassionate. Love all that. She lives in Minneapolis. I feel like I'm saying that weirdly. You've got an extra N in there. Yeah, Yeah. Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. There we go. (laughs) With with her wife and their two dogs and cat. She's also the author of the new book that we're going to talk about today, All Who Are Weary, Easing the Burden on the Walk with Mental Illness. Emmy, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Robert and Holly. Um, I'm I'm fine. Uh, as noted, I live in Minneapolis. It's it's cold here today. We might get up to twenty degrees Fahrenheit, which is still uh, well well below freezing. But that's actually the warmest day we've had in quite a few weeks. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of neighbors who are like, "Oh, okay, we're gonna go skiing today," and I'm like, "Yep, this is <laughs> February. February is the month where that sort of Swedish, um, Norwegian, Scandinavian heritage of just pretending that the cold doesn't bother us really comes out in in Minnesota <laughs> capacities." And so we start doing things like, oh, we made a whole bunch of, you know, glowing lights out of ice cubes and we're going to walk around them when it's, you know, uh, thir- you know, well below freezing with a windchill of, you know, negative 10 and, and look at all these pretty lights while we walk around on a frozen lake. And we all go, yeah, that sounds totally normal and feasible. Let's do it. Mm. Because at this point, we've, we've just we've become a little unhinged. Uh, so that's what's happening yeah. here. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, with that, those temperatures, I mean, it's really hard to be like, what can you do when it is mm-hmm. that cold outside? And yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah there, yeah. there is no bad weather. There's only unseasonable clothing. If you're cold, just put on another layer until you literally physically cannot walk. It's great. <laughs> we have so much fun. So I'm actually from upstate New York, and this all feels so very familiar yes. hearing you talk yeah. about this. So I love this so much. Yeah. Awesome. I think upstate gets more snow than Minnesota does. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, same, very similar experience. Yes. Yes. I love it. That's <laughs> How are you two? Mm. Robert, Good. you want the first? Yeah, it's definitely not that cold uh, in Atlanta. It definitely, you know, we get to like 40 or 30 here and everybody's like out buying bread and stuff, you know, so um, <laughs> that's kind of the the peak or the valley, I guess. Uh, so not that cold, but uh, in terms of preparedness, maybe the same, you know, kind of relative preparedness. I think I only have like one heavy coat, but yeah, doing uh, doing well. Yeah, thank you. But I feel yeah. like a lot of people don't necessarily flip that around, which is fine. That's, no, that's yeah. right. I know. That's why I think we both paused. We were like, wait, what? Um, yeah. no. <laughs> how How am I? How yeah. am I? I could hear the existential crisis happening yes. for a moment. We there. asked the questions right. here. I, mean, I know. That's right. No. <laughs> uh. No. 
<laughs> same. I feel like it's, um, I mean, I appreciate you asking, but uh, same out here. We, Texas just had a, another little mini winter storm, which, you know, I think um, we very much remember last year and what that looked mm-hmm. like in Texas. And so the last uh, few days have been a little, a little scrambly, um, you know, with, kids at home and schools closed and like, oh, is this going to be like last year? But thankfully it was not. Thankfully we're okay. I mean, it, it got cold, but like, you know, the whole state didn't shut down in terms of like power. So, you know, we're celebrating what we can, I guess, right now. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, we're so we're just so so excited to have you on the show, Emmy. And one of the questions that I really would love to ask, because I know there's, I know there's so much that goes into um, this process of, you know, the book that you wrote and just the work that you're doing overall that Robert was nodding to before. Um, and so I wondered if um, you could tell us a little bit more about like the backstory behind this book and, you know, just kind of what led you up to, to writing All Who Are Weary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As Robert mentioned at the top, uh, my first book is One Coin Found, How God's Love Stretches to the Margins. And that was my story of coming to my call uh, to ordained ministry as a queer person and wrestling with scripture and how that would play a role in my life throughout that process. Because for a lot of us who are queer or uh, some shade of rainbow under the LGBTQIA umbrella, our relationship with organized religion, particularly with Christianity, can be really fraught. And we get to a point of having to distance ourselves from scripture because it's been so often used against us. And this isn't dissimilar to other experiences of religious trauma um, that can also compound any mental health issues that we might have started off with biologically or by family of origin. But then for me, knowing that I was called to ordained ministry, I really had to figure out what was I going to do with scripture because it wasn't enough for me to simply hold it at arm's length. I felt like I had to be to develop a much more intimate and, and related um, relationship with it. So I wrote that book um, in, uh, it was published in 2018 or 2019. I can't remember which. Uh, <laughs> time time is a construct yeah, and time, has dilated. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes about uh, I took a class on uh, astronomic uh, astronomical physics in college, and they talked about the the Big Bang and how the origin of the universe is an infinitely dense um, mass, and in like time also doesn't exist within it. And I always had a really hard time understanding infinite dense and non-existence of time. And now I don't know, just the past two years have been both infinity mm-hmm. and have gone by in nothing. So uh, yeah, it, it's, science makes more sense now. But um, so I wrote One Coin Found, and I wrote very openly about my experiences with depression as a teenager, and then also touched a little bit on the social anxiety that it developed when I was in my 20s. And I had a lot of people react very strongly and say, wow, the way you're talking about depression is a way that I haven't heard someone of Christian faith talk about before. And that was honestly surprising to me. I didn't think I was saying anything particularly unusual or revelatory, but I think so many people Hmm. just haven't had a positive exposure to talking about mental illness and faith in a way that's actually compassionate and intertwined with therapy and, and medication mm-hmm. medication and prescriptions. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, I know. Um, <laughs> but, but I just sort of thought like, well, everybody knows that like 
just saying like, oh, just just pray about it and your anxiety will go away. Like everybody knows that's not going to work. And I had all of these people <laughs> responding to me being like, I've never heard someone say that doesn't work. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. oops. <laughs> okay. And so that's where All Who Are Weary arose sort of in conversations with my editor and with my own sort of process. I pushed off the deadline for All Who Are Weary multiple times because mm. I signed the contract just before the pandemic really hit America. Mm, yeah. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And so I'm just saying to my editor over and over, like, I cannot write. I have nothing in me because it was most of 2020 when I was supposed to be writing. And I was just mm. like, I, I have not, I can't, there's nothing inside me. I have like, I'm giving as much as I can to my full-time work, you know, in my church job uh, where I serve as a full-time um, solo pastor. And then, you know, keeping my, my wife and I's head afloat, like that's all I've got. Yeah. And um Lisa um, is my editor for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that she can hold that struggle really tenderly and then also mm -hmm. say to me, if you don't do this, you're going to have that block in your mind forever of like, I couldn't do mm -hmm. it. You're going to hold that against yourself because she knows me well enough. Um, wow. And so that's how, yeah. Um, yeah. And which is so interesting, right? Like there's moments in our lives when we need to quit in order to feel freedom. And she was able to call me into the understanding that I think is totally accurate for me, for my personality, for this particular book project of like, you, you need to try to see it through because otherwise there will always be for you this, or there will be this thing you have to unpack in therapy for the next, you know, five or so years mm. of like, mm. I, I quit when I like, I quit and therefore I can't get back to it or I can't finish it or you know, something, just that block would always be there. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I just really appreciate how you name that. Cause I think I would, I, I, a, your editor sounds amazing. So there's that, but B just the fact that I imagine that there are many of us who have had those moments, especially once like COVID began where it's like, wait a minute, I have to set this down. But then at what point do you kind of wobble back to it and say, okay, I have to move forward with it. Mm -hmm. And just finding that yep. tension. Yeah. I just, just the way that you articulated that is beautiful and very, uh, it resonates a little bit too. So that's, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. My editor is also one of my best friends from seminary. Um, she had her first son the day after my wife and I's wedding. Like she was dancing um, the, like, the night before. And so it's just like, <laughs> We have, a, we have a really good, strong friendship where she can, you know, she's one of the few people that I will let read my first drafts um, mm. and let edit my work and that I trust enough with like, mm -hmm. you know, big questions about like, does this story fit here? Does that work here? And if she says, no, it doesn't, I absolutely trust her and also don't take it to heart as sort of a judgment against myself, yeah. which is very difficult for me to do. So, um, so mm -hmm. yeah, uh, if anybody's listening and wants to, you know, publish a book within the Christian sphere, um, get at me, I will happily, you know, connect you with my editor. She's going on oh maternity leave for another baby soon, but, um, I'll happily get you connected with her because she's just, she's amazing. I'm very, <laughs> very lucky. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. So yeah. each chapter of this book addresses kind of a specific area, right? Unpacking how the church has understood or addressed that area, perhaps poorly, uh, and offer some suggestions on how we move forward or, or do that differently, right? So we obviously can't get to them all in, you know, a 45-minute <laughs> conversation. Uh, that would be awesome. Um, so uh, here's kind of what I was thinking, and you can tell me if this sounds sounds good. I was thinking we could essentially each pick one, right? If I pick one, you pick one, Holly picks one, and kind of have you talk a bit about three. But first, I would be curious, 
as you wrote, you know, all these these 12 chapters here, did you find yourself coming back to kind of recurring themes or common ideas that are kind of like overarching things that would be helpful for people, you know, in a church setting, a ministry setting to say, oh, okay, these kind of broad things tend to be popping up all over the place. And so that's kind of foundational for for digging deeper into each of these 12. Yeah. And we can talk a little bit about, uh, they're not broken into sort of major, you know, subheadings or sections, but that's essentially what they're doing within those 12. The first three chapters are sort of overarching ideas about mental illness and and treatment. So like, how do we talk about mental illness in the church? How do we talk about its relationship with prayer? And how do we talk about treatment? Um, And then the next, I don't remember, I can't do math. Um, That's not my forte, neither is science. (laughs) Uh, um, But so then the next uh, several chapters talk about sort of groupings of symptoms. So there's, you know, groupings around sadness, worry, suicidal ideation, and, um, and, and suicide, like, experiences. And mm-hmm. then the final two chapters are about what are the, some of the things that we can take from practices within therapy, within 12-step programs, which were life-saving for me, within therapeutic mm-hmm. group work, within lots mm-hmm. of processes, and integrate them for the good of the whole, not just for the good of the individual. So I talk about boundaries and then about self-care. Yeah, And um, so those kind of chunk into three sort of sections. But the yeah. two... Two things that I can think of right off the top, there might be a third, because I know it's really good to have three, but I'll just do two, uh, was one of the things that came back multiple times in editing was I would too often um, repeat the same sort of phrasing around like, your brain is a part of your body, your brain is goo powered by electricity, like your brain can get sick. And I would overuse those metaphors of like, your brain is just like sauce with a purpose. Um because it's sort of electrified and gooey and, and it, it's trying to do something, but it is a very physically embodied thing. And so when we treat our minds or our souls, our internal selves as something that we should and can have absolute control over, we're neglecting the fact that it is a carbon-based life form that is fallible and can get sick or broken in the same way that any other organ in our body can. Um, mm-hmm. So I know I, I emphasize that multiple times. Um, And then second, to treat with grace and compassion, the fact that for some people, the admonition to like, if you're worried, just leave it at the foot of the cross. There are some people for whom that expression works. If it was a completely empty expression, nobody would say it. Everybody would recognize Mm. that it would, that it's ridiculous. Mm. And we could certainly make divisions about like, well, is it people who are neurotypical versus people who are neurodivergent? I think that's getting too much into, you know, classical diagnostic categories that I don't have the right to do. Mm. (laughs) Um, But because I I say at the top of the book, like I'm, I'm writing this from the wrong perspective. Like I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not like, I I write it from the side of being a patient. And what's that Mm -hmm. experience like? Mm -hmm. Which and we so, need, and is I was gonna, I was gonna say, I, I push back yes. on from the wrong yes. perspective there a little yeah, bit. No, but no, I know no, what no. you're saying. <laughs> we really need this perspective, Emmy. So yeah, yeah, but yeah. So um, so just to say, like, especially thinking about people who are reading all who are weary as people who don't suffer from more major forms of mental illness or more chronic symptoms who are thinking like, well, but sometimes I wake up and I feel anxious and then I pray and I go back to sleep and I feel better. 
So why can't that work for everybody else? And to say, you know, why are you telling me that doesn't work? To say with gentleness, like, absolutely, that works for you. It's just that it doesn't work for everyone. And when we use that as the only way to, quote unquote, treat mental illness within the Christian sphere, we're neglecting a lot of other realities. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. There's a, a phrase that I think we've used plenty of times on the show, which is this idea of being descriptive and not prescriptive. And so mm-hmm. if someone says, I wake up and I, when I'm feeling anxious, I pray and it like, poof, it's gone and I fall back asleep. That's descriptive of their experience, but we should slow our roll a bit on being prescriptive in terms of, so that should work for everyone, right? Yep. And I, I love that. But also the idea of these things aren't completely siloed. We're like, okay, well, the only thing that's helpful for anxiety is seeing a therapist and none of these faith things work, right? Because obviously that gets into a whole different realm of, okay, well, that's not a, mm. a great holistic approach. And so the idea of there are, you know, we're, we're using all of these things in a whole holistic way to try and approach how we help people and offer healing and all that type of stuff I think is, is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. Good. Yeah. So I guess uh, we'll pick, I guess, from kind of four through 10 then, Um, and (laughs) I can toss them in the chat there if that's helpful, um, if you don't have Mm -hmm. yours handy. I always, I guess I always assume when I'm prepping these that, you know, authors come on and they have everything about the book memorized, which every time someone goes, oh, I don't have it in front of me. And I go, right. Yeah, of course not. Right. You wouldn't memorize. Um, But so kind of chapters four through 10, um, maybe we can kind of, you know, each pick one and and have you unpack a little bit of those in terms of those two, you know, kind of maybe how we've approached it before and then maybe what what your idea for, for approaching it moving forwards or things like that are. So um, I toss them in the chat there. Can Do you see those? Yes, I do. Okay, and cool. I do have the book on hand. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, well, that's amazing. Yeah. Guests <laughs> first. If you, uh, if you would like to pick one, is there one that you feel particularly passionate about? Yeah. Each chapter has this different sort of back backdoor process for me about, you know, stories that I included or didn't include or things that I think about or didn't. So I'm happy to talk about any of them. Um, I think what I'd like to do is start with the trauma chapter because the its placement, which is kind of in the midst of these chapters is is really unusual. I, I kind of want to like, should I move it to the beginning? Should I move it to the end? How do you talk about the massive effect of what trauma can do on our mental health? And especially how do we talk about that within Christian context? And so I placed it in the middle as sort of a turning point in understanding that so often within Christian practice, uh, we've been taught that you know, if something bad happens to you, which we would call trauma, if someone else did that to you, you need to forgive them, right? Jesus said to Peter, forgive 70 times mm. seven. It's, you know, 490 mm. times. Yeah. So many times you couldn't count. It's the, you know, seven is the Jewish number of perfection. And then 70 is beyond even our ability to count because we don't have enough fingers and toes. And so it's, you know, forgive people to infinity. I was like, you know, I don't, I'm not seeing that actually being a helpful and healing process for the individual, Mm -hmm. for the perpetrator, Mm -hmm. or for a community. And this is getting written in the midst of, you know, the, you know, sort of the aftermath of the Me Too and then Church Too movements, Mm -hmm. always within the shadows of whatever, you know, newly disclosed um, sexual misconduct has been happening in some portion of the Christian church. And there's this, you know, no matter how many times we talk about 
particularly sexual misconduct, but we can also talk about physical and verbal abuse within the church. No matter how many times we talk about that, see that talked about on a national level, it keeps happening. And I think part of the problem is this internalized sense of, well, you're just supposed to forgive. And what then happens is the perpetrator feels like they have this blanket permission to do it again because they're never held accountable to what was done to the individual or what's mm. getting done to a community. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 No. Go ahead, Robert. <laughs> no, I was just – I was l- lamenting a little bit how, yeah. how true that is and how, how often we see that play out in terms of – the push for quote unquote forgiveness in terms of, yes. uh, you know, equating forgiveness with lack of accountability or uh, just shutting up, to be honest, right? Like just that kind mm-hmm. of spiritual bypassing and spiritual mm-hmm. smooshing and all the, I don't know, those weird like power dynamics, like all of that type of stuff. And so I was just listening to you and uh, lamenting, I think, over here in my in my space of like, oh, yeah. Yeah, and even how we we put more of that effort on the victim too to have to navigate that and and shame and just those layers. Um, yeah, it's just really tricky. But I think the way you articulated it makes good sense, Emmy. Yeah, exactly. Because we, yeah, how do we how do we sort of biblically restructure a way of understanding yeah. trauma, which is always yeah. where I'm going to is this reconstructive process. And and for me, it's always about engaging with scripture again, with obviously, you know, some theological and, uh, you know, religion philosophy sprinkled in on that. But how do we talk about trauma and understanding how not to do it in the church in a way that is respectful and, and aware uh, mm-hmm. and, and ties in those biblical aspects? Yeah, no, that's good. Well, I'm going to, um, okay, so I'm going to go next with picking the topic of which one to talk and unpack about next. Um, and mm. I want to hear you unpack the chapter on addiction because I've been pretty transparent in spaces about being about two years sober. And um, Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but it has been quite a journey and I just know that you know, this is a journey that a lot of folks go through and, and it looks differently, but also there's some common threads of that experience. And so, yeah, I would love to hear you unpack the chapter on addiction. Right. Yeah. And there's even within sort of the, the quote unquote secular world, although I don't know that you can really mm-hmm. divorce the the 12 mm-hmm. steps from mm-hmm. their spiritual origin. Um, That's even right. Within the, within secular processes of recovery, whether it be 12 step or one of the myriad other ways, there are so many ways of, of addressing addiction and dealing with its, um, with its, its tentacles in our lives, the way it just sort of like uh-huh. seeps into our brains. And so <laughs> biblically, there's just sort of this, like the, the common prescription, uh, among Christianity is just like, we'll just stop just stop doing it. Oh my gosh. Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Just like, why can't you get control? Like, why can't you, um, which is often done in combination with telling people that you've victimized um, in some way or people that you've hurt, you know, mm-hmm. you just need to forgive because so-and-so is going through this thing and you just need to forgive them. But also we're going to, you know, we're going to be strict with them, but we're not going to maybe sort of require them to do work that we might see similarly in, I mean, again, as I said at the top, 12-step programs um, like Al-Anon, uh, which is mm-hmm. the 12-step mm-hmm. group for family um, and friends of alcoholics. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that program saved my life um, at a time when it was really dark. And at the same time, I recognize where the 12 step programs can fall short. And so I tried to reflect that in this chapter of like my experiences with 12 step. Um, but there's a lot of other ways that we talk about and treat addiction. And there's also this, th there's sort of a, not just a Christian, but a communal misunderstanding of addiction of like, well, why can't you just stop? Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Because yeah. for so many people, they can just have one drink. They can right. get the opioid prescription after surgery and then stop. And there's that lack of um, what I sometimes call imaginative compassion mm. um, of that's understanding right. that other people have a different experience than us and, and applying our experience as prescriptive, not descriptive, um, mm -hmm. is, is what shuts down a lot of that healing. So I talk in the chapter about, you know, about addiction, about also sexual addiction, about, um, just the, the major problem and root of addiction, which is that it can be a biological or a genetic predisposition. And then it can also be about trying to deal with unresolved trauma. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I've seen, I've seen that for, um, addicts in my life that like the, they, they get sober or dry at the very least, and then have to deal or have to face sober the ramifications of their behavior and they can't do it. It's too much. It's too heavy. They don't have a process for treating themselves with respect. They don't have a process for making amends to other people. And so the the quickest way to make that much pain go away is back to the the substance. Yeah. 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 It's it's hard work. I think even the way that you just outlined too about, you know, how that addiction I mean, I appreciate how you elevated like it is it can be a biological you know, struggle. It can be tied in with like family history and experiences and, um, and trauma and can come out of that, you know, trauma that have been folks have experienced. And, and yeah, when you're, when, when you're dry, when you're not using whatever the substance is or behavior or whatever, all that mm -hmm. stuff bubbles up and that is hard stuff to face for sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Oof. I, uh, I, I want to nod to the food chapter because I think that chapter is awesome. And we have, uh, I know we've talked about kind of embodiment on the show before and, uh, you know, shying away from the like body being a bad mm -hmm. thing. And it's all about, you know, head and knowledge or whatever, like all that weird stuff. But I did, I wanted to ask uh, some, maybe we'll come back to that if we have time, but I want to ask about the worry chapter because I feel like this is potentially one of the things that I see discussed poorly in in my opinion obviously or you know harmfully maybe the most in terms of uh, you know uh, worry like there's you can find plenty of maybe quote unquote like biblical evidence for trying not to worry in some sense right like trusting in god and all that but then we end up with this weird conflation of anxiety uh, and you know there was a tweet I'm, i don't remember and i don't really care that much but from someone you know, maybe a week or two ago, that was like anxiety is temporary, temporary atheism or whatever, right? And you're like, what do we, what? Whoa. You know, so, yeah. Uh, you know, just <laughs> that yeah. kind of idea of like pulling those uh, maybe encouragements of you don't need to worry, you can trust God or like those types of things and, and using them to throw at people who are experiencing anxiety. So uh, I would love to hear kind of your take on, on uh, worry and, and what you read about in that chapter. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I 
you know, b- bouncing off of, it's not just, you know, oh, well, remember Jesus said, do not worry. And like, oh, okay, great. I'm fixed. Poof. Uh, when we, when we know that we have to go beyond that, I did want to talk about, you know, the fact that we don't have access to the DSM five categorizations for people that we experience in the Bible. And so when we try to sort of read mental illness backwards into it and say like, oh, well, here's the cure for anxiety. Like, well, you you don't, I mean, anxiety is not just someone saying out loud, I'm anxious or I'm worried. Like this is a chronic illness that takes a multitude of forms and just saying like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so was a hermit. So clearly he's got social anxiety. Like, oh, mm, that's <laughs> not, mm, that yeah. is, that is not actually how any mm-hmm. of this process works. Mm-hmm. And so that's another one of those cases where we're taking things that are descriptive of these are how people, you know, in, in biblical stories or how um, the the writer of Proverbs or the Psalms described their situation or experienced their situation. And then just saying, well, everybody else should be able to do it that way when we know that that's just not how brains and experiences work. And then what I wanted to what I tried to do in this chapter is sort of flip the script on that and say, when, you know, the Bible says, um, do not be afraid. When the, when angels and messengers, um, God appear and say, "Do not be afraid," that is a that is a statement in the face of something that is terrifying. And so it's this yeah. interesting flip when we often, you know, what we see in diagnoses of anxiety is people who are paralyzed in one way or another by something that is not necessarily real. Um, so my mm. experience of anxiety is a social anxiety. Uh, I still have it. Um, it's very, very well regulated, but it still pops up. Um, strangely enough, it's been worse the past two years. No idea what that's concurrent with. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but this mm-hmm. sense of uh, when I'm in public, I get very, very, uh, specifically in grocery stores, I talk about this in the chapter, I get very anxious that everybody is angry with me. Like that I'm packing my groceries mm. too slow, that I'm scanning them too slow, that I'm standing in the wrong place in line. Very anxiety producing. None yeah. of those things are actually dangerous to me. And yet my body reacts as if I am in a physical danger. And so yeah. the experience that we have of anxiety, where we're having sort of an overstated reaction to reality, is completely the opposite of this experience of hearing, do not be afraid, where you're having a transformative dangerous, overwhelming experience of reality. And then that reality is telling you, oh, don't worry about it. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So that that feeling of flipping the script in those situations, I feel like can be helpful in unpacking like anxiety is, and most of us who live with anxiety, we recognize that we're not necessarily having a quote unquote rational reaction to reality. And we would rather not be having mm. it. And we would like a process to not have it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about those stories that you're talking about of, you know, the commands do not fear, the way that I read them or understand them at least is not like, hey, don't have the the physiological response of being afraid in this moment. Because as you stated, like those, mm-hmm. those often are, there's a terrifying thing, right? If there's an angel coming down that, you know, and you're like, I've never seen this before in my whole life, what's happening here? To not feel any sense of fear in that moment maybe would, would be a uh, problematic in terms of like how our fun- how our systems function but but the those commands being like don't let that maybe determine the next step right like don't mm-hmm. don't let that keep you mm. here you can feel that fear but still move forward in what you're being asked to do or whatever like those types of things which to me makes much more sense uh, rather than like 
hey, don't feel a sense of fear when you're crossing the street and a car comes swerving around the corner. And if you feel fear that somehow that's sinful because there's commands not to fear or whatever, right? Like, Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I really, I would love to give space for those last two chapters. Um, I, I mean, I'm just a big fan of the importance of practicing self-care and like making sure that we are taking care of ourselves and, and boundaries and how important they are. And so you had kind of nodded to these, these last two chapters being really distinct. Do you mind kind of unpacking them or just kind of giving us some summaries or some, like what really stood out for you within those last two chapters that you would hope for, you know, readers or for listeners to be really thinking about? Yeah, I think what I was really trying to do with those two chapters was integrate concepts that we hear of more often in quote unquote secular processes of improving mental health. Um, and those two things being boundaries and self-care. I mean, I think at this point they've become almost catchphrases. They're starting to lose some of their yeah. efficacy because yeah. people use them so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that there's this sense uh, sometimes within Christianity of like, that's like self-care is selfish. Boundaries are selfish. They are, mm. and, and the sort of laden judgment in that. And what I was trying to do with these last two chapters is both describe what those concepts are at the at the heart of what they were, you know, imagined to be. You know, boundaries are not just, you know, X, Y, or Z. Self-care is not just like, oh, you had a hard day. So like, make sure to get in a bath and half a bottle of wine. Like, first of all, uh, right. I know. Yeah, no, 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 no. I know. I have feelings about all that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. When when self-care became commodifiable, we we got ourselves into trouble. <laughs> yes, um, that's right. Yeah. That's it. Yep. And so what I'm trying to do is describe like what are the origins of these phrases, you know, capture what are the origins of these phrases? I don't do it in a in a sort of linguistic origin and history uh because I've been told that that's boring, but like, let's, let's capture, okay, what are, what's the, at the heart of these ideas? And then how do we find a biblical story that sort of pairs with that? So for boundaries, because it's so often this idea that like, you have to be, you know, like Paul, you know, everything to everyone, you have to do enough for everybody. And, you know, you have to, to achieve true joy. Um, I want you to just imagine me with like, you know, my hands clasped over my heart and just the most winsome look on my face to achieve true joy. You put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, no, um, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Not um, helpful. It's not helpful. And also just like, says who? Like, that's not Yeah, even that's this. right. Yes. <laughs> um, and so this, this idea, for, like, just because you can make something work within an acronym doesn't mean it's, it's like, scientifically or philosophically true (laughs) well the bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth no no it's a a anglified (laughs) word of a greek no stop it you you are not allowed to use letters anymore taking those away (laughs) until you understand how to use them correctly um but so how do we talk about that in in a biblical sense and so i talk about boundaries especially within the context of the teachings of jesus Um, And the way that Jesus actively draws boundaries in both parables and in some of his, you know, core teachings and says there is behavior that is not tolerable and we will not allow that behavior to exist within the kingdom of God. And like, Mm. 
we we know this, right? Like we know every every Christian church has limits on what kind of behavior is acceptable. And it's just mm-hmm. interesting on what gets put in the bucket of acceptable behavior and what doesn't. Um, and this is for me, like as a queer person, I've long been interrogating sort of what gets put in the bucket of like, oh, this is behavior that is perfectly fine to do within, within Christian community, even though it hurts people um, versus mm. this is behavior that's not permissible for, for reasons. Mm, and yeah. for a long time, I've been just been like, why, why are they divided? Like, I don't, I don't think y'all are doing this division correctly. And <laughs> um, so that's what I'm trying to do in the boundaries chapter is just say like, what if it's okay to draw boundaries? Um, one of the stories that my, a lot of my fellow pastors struggle with preaching on is the story of the, um, the 10 women waiting for the bridegroom that shows up uh, in like the final mm. chapters of Matthew where Jesus tells this parable and there's five, they're often translated five wise and five foolish. And there's a whole, you can, you can certainly do a deep dive on translation on that. But so there's five <laughs> wise women who bring enough oil and five women who don't. And the five who don't say, well, give us some of your oil. And the, the five who brought enough say, then everyone will be left in darkness. And I'm like, that's boundaries. Like when someone is saying to you, give me what you have, because I didn't, you know, do my work, do my prep, think about things beforehand, because I refuse to do my work right now. Um, you know, if you're thinking about sort of interrelationships and community. So you do the work for me, you show up, you do the work, and I'll just get to borrow what you did. And somebody says, no, you can't just take from what I have. That's a boundary. And Jesus recognizes mm-hmm. that as an act of wisdom that prevents everything from being cast into shadow. Hmm. And I just, I try to set that as a, an understanding of, you know, what, what are, what do Christian boundaries look like? Um, and then self-care yeah. once again, you know, really trying to get us away from that, um, that concept of commodified self-care or like, well, self-care is just, we've seen this too much in the past two years with um, companies being like, Hey, you guys, we are just so proud of you for keeping the company going um, in, you know, in, in this difficult time. And uh, what was what was the catchword of 2021? 20, Unprecedented times. Mm-hmm. We're just so we're so grateful <laughs> for all of you. We've you know, we've released our, you know, our quarterly earnings and we're up 25 percent in our profits. So all of our employees are getting a pizza party. And it's like that is not mm. actually that's not that's not actually yeah. how about how about better pay? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that we actually yeah. can like do something sustainable for our lives over time instead of one day on a Friday when we're all going to get sick off of too much Domino's mm-hmm. or, you know, which, whichever pizza you're, you know, whichever cheap global, you know, nationally traded pizza your, your company dives into. But this idea <laughs> of creating sustainable and sustaining self-care practices. Um, and so that's what I really tried to dive into and talk about you know, swinging back to the the title for the book, All Who Are Weary, coming out of that chapter of Matthew when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Like, what does rest mm-hmm. actually look like? And then trying to to follow that 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 thread from there and figure out where are we going with this? What, it, what does it really look like to put down the heavy burdens that we're carrying and recognize that, you know, self-care mental health practices that improve our lives are not simple and not always easy, but they are maybe easier than the heavier burdens that we've been carrying. So what I try to do in that final chapter is name ways that I'm claiming a different kind of burden for myself. Like what am I putting down and what am I trying to pick up 
and so that I don't leave people just feeling like, look, just go to therapy and you'll be fine. Like, no, here's mm-hmm. some of the hard yeah. work that's ahead of you, but it can be done and it can be so fulfilling. Oh, that's good. I really appreciate yeah. too, even just that you name that it is hard work. Like this is hard work through this process. And, you know, but the ways that you um, so tangibly offer these, you know, steps that folks can take or ways that they can actually um, take good care of themselves without it being a glass of wine and a bubble bath only. Like, I just really appreciate that, Emmy. So thank you. Well, one question we really love to ask our guests too, especially when they have poured so much of who they are into the work that they do, whether that's through, you know, their research or their book or, you know, whatever it is that, that they're doing, um, advocacy efforts, et cetera, is to, to better understand their hope for this work. So I would love to ask you that question, Emmy, like what is your hope for this book as, you know, folks are reading it and picking it up? Like, what is your hope for this, this book? Yeah. Um, when I wrote my first book, which I thought was going to be my only book, um, and, and then was not, when I wrote the first book, I was writing for, for, for myself, a very narrow audience. I was thinking of other LGBTQIA people like myself who were trying to find resonance with who they are and who God is in scripture. And I really thought like, this is a narrow category. And then what I've found is that it's been a really sustaining and important work for a lot of other categories of people. And so I think I mm. flipped flipped the ideal on myself a little bit for all who are weary and I'm still trying to reconcile like what that's going to look like. And of course, releasing a book during a pandemic is just absolute garbage. I'm friends yes, with other writers. Agreed. No mm-hmm. one's having fun. Um mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> like we're, we're all just like, "Hey, what are you doing for like a book release on Zoom?" And we're all like, "Nothing. I hate it." Everything mm-hmm. like, hey, "Do you have any good ideas for like something that's and we're all just like, "No, it's all terrible." But we show up for each other, which is really lovely. Uh but so what I tried to do with All Who Are Weary is cast a really wide net of like, you might be going through mental, you know, an experience of mental illness, whether that be, you know, acute or chronic. You might be walking with someone who is experiencing that, whether you're family um, or friend or a community member. You might be their pastor and trying to figure out how to better care for them. You might be uh, a therapist or a counselor in some form and trying to figure out, you know, especially for counselors who don't have experience with religious trauma, like why? Mm-hmm. Why is this person talking about God in like this really strange and difficult way? Like, mm-hmm. okay, let's let's crack open you know, where that might've come from in different ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think just the hope is that I've scattered enough uh, at the end of every chapter, I, I leave some resources for people to, you know, if you were interested by this part, go read this book. If you're interested in this thing, try this. And what I'm trying to do is scatter enough seeds from the fruit of what's been grown in me through my own process of, of getting healthier um, not getting healthy because it's for me, I think um, mm-hmm. depression is going to be a lifelong condition. At least it has been to this point. Um, but mm. so the process of not getting healthy, but getting healthier, I'm trying to scatter enough seeds that like something else can be grown and sown for other people to be nourished by. Not because I did it, but because I left some sort of, sort of maps and signs in the wilderness going like, okay, I got here before you. I can't wait for you. I'm on my own journey, but this is the way that I went. And here are the things that sustained me. And so the hope is with that, that then it's like, it doesn't, I don't, you know, I think a good therapist, a good pastor, any good leader, like doesn't want to make it about 
themselves and like, oh, come back to me and and talk to me about it. And I did that because mm-hmm. I already had that problem of people saying like, you know, sending me, I think I mentioned in the final chapter, people DMing me at three in the morning going like, I'm suicidal. Can you help me? And I'm like, no, I'm asleep. I haven't seen, I, I can't just have my notifications on for every mm-hmm. social media thing to buzz, you know, at all hours of the day. Um, and then the, the guilt of that. And so trying to figure mm. out how do I create a system that doesn't point back to me, but also doesn't say like, don't you dare contact me, but rather gives, you know, the very concrete, like, here are the directions that you can go. Um, so here's, you know, like, here's your starter food and then go nourish yourself at the wide, wide table of other options available. Hmm. Yeah. That's mm. good. Yeah. Well, Emmy, thank you so much for joining us today and, and talking with us. If you listeners, if you want to connect with Emmy, you can do that at emmykegler.com, facebook.com slash emmy.kegler, or on Twitter or Instagram at Emmy Kegler. You can hear her as part of the Cafeteria Christian podcast. So you can find that wherever you get podcasts. And you can buy this book, All Who Are Weary, Easing the Burden on the Walk with Mental Illness, wherever you get your books. If you want to connect with Holly, you can do that at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. You can connect with me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at robertvoremmy. Thank you again. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Yeah. Um, I should have prepared something. That's a that's like a common question. It just occurred <laughs> to me like, are you sure put something good together? <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's not even a surprise. Like everyone says that. Like, what do you want oh, everybody to take yeah, away? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, mm. be nice to yourself. Um mm. that works. So there's this <laughs> you know, uh so I am I'm an elder millennial. When I was growing up, there was a uh, like a Caldecott award-winning book called Old Turtle with these gorgeous watercolors, and it was all about a turtle that was very wise. Um, I don't remember what his wisdom was, but there was a mm. follow-up book called Old Turtle and the Broken Truth. And I think that the, the theme of that story is what's been really meaningful to me in my process of healing um, and ach- achieving greater health in mental illness, and then also recognizing how that needs to contribute to the world around me. Because my growth and and my own process of getting healthier Mm -hmm. cannot just be about myself, but has to be for the sustenance Mm -hmm. of the whole community. Mm -hmm. What happens in the story is that there's there's a broken truth and everybody fights over it. And so you can see that it's broken. It's got a jagged edge. But what it says is you are loved, which is true, right? This is a truth. Even though it's broken, it's still true. You are loved. Um, And I like... I so badly want to impart that to so many people who struggle with mental illness or who are struggling with somebody who has mental illness and whose um, symptoms and and behaviors are imposing and and difficult on their life or are burdens on their heart. I want to speak that message of you are loved in concert with the other half of the truth, which gets rediscovered at the end of the book. And the other half of the broken truth, which then makes the truth whole is, and so is everyone else. Hmm. And I think when we can bring those two truths together in our therapeutic processes and in our Christian practice, when we recognize not only that God speaks belovedness for us, but also that God speaks belovedness for everyone around us, and we are called to participate in that um, in our processes of getting healthier, our processes of just being alive, that we're called to both believe in and trust in our own belovedness, but also the belovedness of others. That's that's where I hope we can go in the next few days, at least. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. 
Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.